0: Why Science, a podcast about mental health research and its impact on the community at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. The series is produced by COBE, the College Behavioral and Emotional Health Institute, with the assistance of WVCW, Student Radio at VCU. For more information, visit kobe.vcu.edu and wvcw.org. Music for today's episode is provided by Butcher Brown. Download their new beat tape, Grown Folk, from Bandcamp, or purchase a physical copy from Flow today. Our first guest is Linda Hancock, Director of the Wellness Resource Center and Nurse Practitioner with VCU Health Services. We hope you enjoy the interview. We're in the studio right now with uh, Linda Hancock, the Director of the Wellness Resource Center. First of all, could you tell us a little bit about the work that you do with VCU?
1: I have the greatest job at VCU because I get to do two things. I work at the student health clinic 20 hours a week, and I get to be at the Wellness Resource Center 20 hours a week. So whatever I see that are issues for students in the clinic, I can go out and try to prevent or reshape our community so that we have less problems and and so I got here I just was lucky just lucky fell in love with college students came 28 years ago thinking I'd be gone in a year and fell in love with college students they're fun they ask great questions they're at the beginning of great adventures
0: In terms of your experience with mental health on campus on both sides, what would you say is the state of mental health for for students?
1: That's so cool. Wouldn't it be great if we had a state of the mental health address every year in the nation? That would be so awesome. So I will have to tell you, since I've been here three decades, if you look at the literature, what's going up across the country and at VCU is anxiety has been increasing. And when people are anxious about things, they tend to notice others less and and compassion is actually decreasing. Because to be compassionate, you have to be able to notice other people and not be just batting around inside your own head.
0: In response to that, um, there's a you, you call it a Bermuda Triangle of Resources. Oh, absolutely. Um, tell me about the Bermuda Triangle of Resources and uh, why you call it that.
1: Oh, well, I call it that because it doesn't matter where you start, we won't let you get lost. Okay. And there is no mind body disconnect. But currently in America, we have counseling center one place and student health another place and the public health education research branch another place. But we all work together and we like each other. So if you need something, Say you're having chest pain and you show up at the clinic, but it's really panic attacks, we're going to get you into the counseling center. And we're going to try to educate you while you sit in the bathroom
0: and pee. So tell us about that. Uh, oh. That's a project that you do with the Wellness Resource Center. Here.
1: I love the stall Seat Journal because actually students are so busy, but the one place they will actually sit and read is in the john. So the stall Seat Journal is in 1,300 bathrooms at VCU. So if you're peeing someplace and you don't see it, find a new place to go because what we do is combine educational information that's pertinent to college students with local resources on campus And cartoons, if it's a good addition. And can I tell you what the new plan is? Oh, yeah. WVCW now wants to do a stall seat quickie. So we will do a five to seven minute little segment of the highlights in the stall seat.
0: I know that you. we've spoken in the past about how you love working with smokers.
1: I love smokers. And
0: I'm curious, uh, what is it about smokers that are so fascinating and what is it about that work that's really gratifying for you? Well,
1: they made me be the smoking person because, you know, you think, you think about it. Um, my mom, my own mom, died of lung cancer. And um, when she was dying, I would look at smokers and be confused and be wanting to scream, what are you doing? You're going to die. But what I've learned about smokers is they're amazing people. They, my mom was an amazing person. She bicycled across country when women didn't go to the grocery store in pants. So many smokers are either that outgoing, you know, social kind of person I like, or they're a little kind of inwardly compulsive. And I like to work with those people because they get stuff done.
0: One of the first things that I saw coming out of the Wellness Resource Center that was uh, a friend of mine working on it was just say no. Tell me about kind of your work with fact-based education and why you feel like that's so important to battle stigma and to empower students to make positive choices.
1: Right. Actually, if you look at the work that's been done by Spit for Science and Kobe at the genetic risk for addiction, you could tell when people are in kindergarten who's most at risk, and it's kind of two genetic splits. One are this extroversion-type pathway where people are impulsive, rebellious, outgoing, sound like my smokers, like those kind of people, what would be the worst prevention program for those people? How about just say no? Because when you tell somebody like that they can't do it, they're like, oh, yeah, you want me to show you? That's why I love them, okay? So that's awful. Just say no is just awful. But this just say no, K-N-O-W, is okay. There are molecules out there. There are good things about those molecules. There are not so good things. Let's take a look at them. And just say K-N-O-W um, is fact-based, not fear-based, and it involves students in actually doing the research. And there are a lot of legal po- policies. There's a group on campus called SSDP, Students for Sensible Drug Policy. My hat is off to them because they are very concerned about the injustice surrounding molecule legislation in this country. So it's a cool program. Kristen Donovan from the well is the main contact.
0: Yeah. And um, expanding upon that, there's a, a program that you present to a freshman when they first arrive at school called Love and Liquor. It's also very much so a, a fact-based education seminar, but it's, it's wrapped in, in comedy, and it's, it's, it's a really wonderful thing to introduce the students to and to break through any stigma that may be coming into college. Um, talk to me about why it's important to catch them when they first get here and what your goals are with Love and Liquor.
1: Well, the reason to catch them when they first get there is because our society's done such a terrible job of educating people. So, what we try to do, I try to I like to think of myself as a translational scientist. I like look at the research and then I try to tailor it so that the common person is halfway interested and it makes sense, and then you throw in stories, true stories. I have so many stories that I can see play out in the research, and then you throw in a little, let's not take ourselves too seriously, because I don't know if you ever heard that Oscar Wilde quote, that life is too important to be taken seriously, but I think health is too important to be taken seriously. Like, if you're approachable, and really when I use humor, people don't remember all of the details of what I said, but they remember the relationship that's set and whether they would come see me in the clinic exam room or come talk to me at the well. And that's the kind of people we want to be at all of the triangles. We want to be approachable, friendly, nonjudgmental, help you figure out what best helps you.
0: With Love and Liquor, there's a clicker portion where you are specifically addressing social norms theory. Can you explain that to me? Yeah, that's my area of research.
1: Okay, so that's my area of research. Perception is not reality. And so when you look at college students or see what's in the media about them, it all portrays college students as doing everything. They all jump into bed with everybody. They all smoke dope. They all drink too much. And, you know, not everybody does everything. So what the clickers do is I get to seriously ask students, so what do you think everybody, all the 400 people in this room do? What do you do? And they get to see in live time that their perceptions don't match up with reality. Most people are actually healthier than you think. They care about themselves and their friends. They take steps not to get hurt. I could tell you tons of stories of strategies students use to stay healthy. I can't put them all in the stall seat, but I could tell you some stories.
0: Well, yeah, if there's anything in particular that's coming to your mind right now.
1: Oh, yeah, there's this one time. I, so I was talking to this group in business school, and I was like, so I know you guys like to go out and have a good time, but I also know you like to get home safe, so how do you do it? So this one guy said, you really want to know? I'm like, yeah. He said, okay, well, the underage guy drinks before we go out. We drive him to the bar. He sobers up the, at the bar. He drives us home, which shows to me that while they're taking some risks with the law, They don't want to be killed. They want to have a good time and, that you know, they seriously care about each other. Now, I can't turn that into a campaign, right? Yeah. But it just shows me there's tons of others. I have another one I call the pink clutch story. Have you heard that one? No, I haven't. So I talked, because, you know, students will blow you off. So I was, you know, I do love and liquor. This one lady, she's like, Linda, you're like the Jonathan, the juggler of my college career. So, like, I would show up at these classes and do love and liquor. And so for the first two years, she kind of blew me off as this funny lady, but I didn't really know what I was talking about. And then her grades weren't so good, and she really wanted to get into dental school. And she's like, well... Let me think. This lady's always talking about strategies. So what she would do, she's real cute. She would go down to the bottom when she was 21, and all these guys would buy her drinks, and she would end up blacking out and wasn't doing well in school. So she had this little pink clutch, and, you know, they don't check clutches because they think women just have tampons in their clutches, but she had a little flask that had three to four drinks in it. She would go. She would buy a Diet Coke. She would go to the bathroom, spike her own drink. She had four by the end of the night. She'd get home safe. She wouldn't black out, and she is doing really well in dental school.
0: (laughs) One of the things that Kobe does is connect researchers and staff members and faculty and students all across campus. And I'm curious, um, what kind of research is happening at VCU that really gets you excited about ways that you can improve mental health outcomes for students?
1: Actually, the entire VCU Spit for Science survey gets me excited. The researchers have taught me so much. So... Um particularly looking at what factors predict college student success and what we can adjust. So like I told you, there's um, introversion, extroversion, and the other one is biological response to alcohol. Not everybody metabolizes alcohol the same way. So when you te- talk to students and they can see their lived reality in the research— so I, I taught, so biological low and high response is researched by Mike, Mark Shuckett, and it's in, those, those questions are embedded in spit for science. So if you think back to the very first time you drank, if it took not much, one half drink to get high, you're what we call a high responder. You know, you drink a half a drink, you're like, oh, my God, I'm so drunk. Those people are lowest risk for being addicted because they can't metabolize the molecule. If the first time you drank, first five times you drank, you could consume a lot, You're way higher risk for addiction just because you can, you don't feel it, so you're going to drink more. And if you have a family history of addiction, you're three to four times more likely to get addicted, 40% more likely. If you have a family history and you're a biological low responder, your risk of being an alcoholic is 60%. That's not because you're a bad, evil, wicked person. That's just an unfair genetic roll of the dice. So that's what I love about it, because if you can talk to students and they see their family history and their own biological response, they resonate with that truth so much better than just say N-O-W, because you just teach nothing.
0: One of the things that you've stressed in a lot of your presentations around campus is mindfulness. Yes. And I'm curious to hear uh, just generally about your experiences with mindfulness and how you practice mindfulness, and also some of your experiences with teaching that and incorporating that into your lectures.
1: Okay. So mindfulness is being present where you really are. And if you look at the way our culture has developed over the last dozen of decades or so, we moved out of the fields. We don't listen to the birds in the trees or feel the breeze on our face. We don't exercise all day long. We're never really where we are. And now with all the social media and you're never really where you are. And so things are getting worse. So mindfulness it's really this huge aha when people find out that you are not your thoughts. You are the awareness that can notice your thoughts and you have choices about letting them go and being where you are. And so it's life changing. When I was in college and somebody did a mindfulness meditation with me, I was like, oh, that's a bunch of crap. I'm not going to do that. And I walked away for it from a couple decades until I realized that emotions and thoughts are just neuropeptides. They are reflexively made. You know, if you're startled, you'll, you know, if you fail a test, I bet I could predict what your little automatic negative thoughts, neuropeptide, they'll be like, you're a loser. You're never going to pass this class. You're going to fail out of school. You're going to live under a bridge. None of those are rational. They're automatic. They are not you and you can be taught to identify and let them go. So mindfulness brings people back to really where they are. Not all the baggage from the past, not all the fears of the future, right where you are, which is the only place you can live. But the trouble with mindfulness is it needs to be practiced. It's a skill. And I'm pretty much convinced it's not taught, it's caught. You have to practice and be around like-minded people. Because otherwise you'll say, well, really that 10 minutes in my day isn't going to make a difference. Not realizing that if you put the 10 minutes in every day, it would make the most huge difference. So have you read the book 10% Happier by Dan Harris? No, I have not. He's hysterical. So he was an anchor on Good Morning America had a panic attack on national TV. And he wrote this book called 10% Happier. He said he wanted to call it The Voice in My Head is an Asshole. Can we say that on the air? Okay, excellent. Anyway, but he didn't because he thought the FCC would like bleep it out. So and what he's noticed is if you just sit for 10 minutes a day, you it's not going to change your life phenomenally, but it will make you 10% happier. It will put you more in charge of noticing what your little neuropeptide thoughts are doing and choosing which ones you want to pay attention to. So you become more a person in your own life. You get to live more of your life, but it's skills-based. So I like to practice with everything. In fact, this fall, when we do the new Freshman at Love & Liquor, we'll do a mindfulness-based exercise too. I'm hoping it'll be infused into as many classrooms as possible. I hope professors start practicing it and students start practicing it.
0: If you had an opportunity to speak to all of the students at VCU and give them one uh, piece of advice or one tip that would teach them about self-care or about improving their mental health or just trying to make it through that one really awful week of exams or tests, you know, what would you tell them?
1: Okay. Well, it would be the Oscar Wilde. um, Get a grip and, you know, don't take yourself too seriously. Everything in life is pretty much a do-over. Okay. And it's all about learning skills. And what I try to teach my students is um, you weren't born knowing how to be in relationships. You weren't born knowing how to deal with the death of a loved one or, you know, be majorly stressed out. But those are all skills you can learn. And they're also like shoes. Like you try stuff on, you see if it fits. I actually don't do breath meditation as much as I do something called centering prayer, which works for me better, and I kind of mix the two. But I had to try on some shoes to figure out what worked for me. So I'll get trying on some shoes. VCU's got cool ones.
0: Is there anything else in particular that you'd like to add about students about your experience or or anything like that related to uh, how about
1: just a big fat thank you to all the faculty members students um, and staff and especially people like you Craig who make being at VCU just really an awesome place to be
0: thanks again to Linda Hancock for joining us on our first episode Our final segment of each episode will feature mindful music, an opportunity to clear your head and be present, guided by the sounds of local artists from Richmond and VCU. Today's mindful music is Lay It Back by Butcher Brown. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our second episode coming soon. Walk Bye, bye.